Well, thanks for that very warm welcome. It's so fantastic to be with you. Very, very intimidating place to be speaking. <laughs> I'd rather be in a nice little circle down here, but uh, um, we'll, we'll go for it this way. Um, thanks for that welcome. I feel uh, quite <laughs> overwhelmed by that, but uh, really lovely, lovely to be here. I've actually been writing for as long as I can remember. I'm, I'm passionate about words. I love words. Uh, as, as mentioned, I'm a professional journalist, I've trained as a journalist, and that was always on the cards. That's what I wanted to do. I was going to do that. Um, but I've been writing since, a, as a young teenager, I wrote pretty appalling poetry. <laughs> um, I'm passionate about the theatre, so I write a lot of, of drama scripts. In recent years, I've got into screenwriting, not very successfully, but I absolutely love that as a genre. So I'm loving this concept of writing stories, um, but I'm wondering how many here are writers. Are you all writers or potential budding writers? Let's have a show of hands, wave at me. Many of you. Any of you preachers or evangelists using stories to share the gospel? Give me a wave, good stuff, thank you. Um, and uh, anyone wandered in here by mistake? <laughs> I'm thinking, what on earth am I doing here? So I will be talking about story this morning. I'll be talking about writing, but I'm, I'm talking about story in its broadest sense because it applies to so much of our life as believers. So not just if you're a writer, but whatever you're doing and whatever you're communicating can be empowered and enhanced by story. Um, I have to say, I don't think you can learn to write well and to be a good storyteller by sitting, listening to someone. Because you can do that best by trying it out, by trying and failing and trying again. You do it best by actually maybe having a mentor or an editor or someone like a director to work with you and help you, someone who will be honest with you if it really is awful poetry. And you do it best when you write and you rewrite and you rewrite, and you rewrite until you get it right. So my hope this morning is not to teach you all the answers, but to inspire you and to whet your appetite for the power and the potential of story. We live in such a narrative culture. If you look around you, books, films, magazines, newspapers, and social media, they're awash with stories, whether true or false, whether fact or fiction. Stories are all around us. And as we, as we see that, why is it so important that we as Christians should be sharing stories? I love this little quote I found. Um, see if I can even read it. <laughs> Tell me a fact and I'll learn Tell me the truth and I'll believe. But tell me a story and it will live in my heart forever. And I think that is, is powerful. Plato says, those who tell the stories rule society. I love that quote and I was thinking as I prepared, what does that actually mean? Well, people say that history is written by the victors. So it could be suggested that those in power decide what we remember and how we remember it. 
Brian Freer, an Irish playwright, some of you will know, wrote a, a play called Making History, and it had that same theme. And here in Ireland, we know quite well that it's possible for two ethnic groups of people to have a different story of history. Perhaps both true, but not completely true. But nowadays, everybody is a storyteller. It's not just the people in power. Nowadays, anybody can have access to a global stage to share a story. And that can be a a true story or a completely false story. It has immense power. And stories are not just about recording and shaping history, recording and shaping the past, but they're actually nowadays influencing the present and changing the future. In fact, I would suggest that stories transform our lives. Now, it's my guess that most people in this room, if not all of you, have had your lives changed by the greatest story ever told. It's the story of a father's love. It's the story of crushing betrayal, heart-wringing tragedy, sorrow, pain, suffering, the ultimate sacrifice. It's the story of triumph in the face of despair, mourning turned to joy, and the dawn of a new era in human history. It's a story in which we're invited to be part of, that we're invited to to take part and participate, and we become the next chapter. So it's an ongoing story, a never-ending story, the real never-ending story. And it's a story that has so transformed my life that it means I can stand here today and talk to you. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the story of the Lord Jesus. So today, whether you are a journalist or a novelist, whether you are a playwright or a screenwriter, a poet or a preacher, a missionary or an evangelist, whether you are a parent or a teacher, you will be and you are a storyteller. But how effective you are will determine how influential and how powerful those stories become in the lives of your readers or your hearers. So I'm going to take you through just a few little points about the power of story generally, the power of story in culture, the power of story that we see, and then also then we're going to look more at scripture and get a bit more practical. See if I can find my... I can't actually read my notes because I've got my glasses on, and if I have my glasses on, I can't read. If I have my glasses off, I can't see you, so it's very good. So I have to hope that actually is somewhere on the page. Stories are a gift. There are stories in every culture of the world, and in every culture it is considered that a story is like is something that you give to someone. It's entertainment, it's something that transports you. In the Irish tradition, the bards were paid very well because they were highly valued as part of society. So stories are a gift. I don't know if you had that experience, but I always remember being ill in my teens. And my dad used to come and sit down beside me and read the Father Brown stories. Anybody remember those? G.K. Chesterton? And uh, dad would read these mystery stories. And I'd be just transported out of that bedroom, out of my sickness. And I loved it. I lived for those moments. I treasured 
those moments. Stories are a gift. But stories are also uh, so memorable. They say that it's actually 22 times more memorable than fact, up to. Now, I don't know where that research was done and whether it was correctly done, but it sort of resonates with me. I don't know. I want to ask, and, and maybe a couple of you can shout out, what's one film that you've never forgotten, that you've watched and you've never, ever forgotten? Someone shout out. Braveheart. Braveheart. That obviously made an impact on you. Up. 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 <laughs> Fantastic Disney film, was it? Or similar? Gladiator, I love that film. Moby Dick. Moby Dick. Anyone else watch that film? Shawshank. Shawshank, yes. Yeah, I think most of us. Powerful, powerful story. I think I've got a picture of my, one of mine. I wouldn't say it's... Has it come up? Oh, there it is. I wouldn't say it's my favourite film, but I will never forget watching this film. At some time back in the 80s, um, we went into the cinema... Those of you who recognise it, it's a story came, coming out of apartheid in South Africa. And I cried all the way through. I, I was in bits. And at the end of the film, the whole cinema, with every seat filled, was dead silent. There was not a murmur. As the credits rolled, people just sat in their seats, stunned. It had that much of an emotional impact on us, this story. Stories are so memorable. They live with us. They live in our hearts forever, as that proverb said. But stories also create connections. They create a connection between the author and the reader. They create a connection between the storyteller and the audience. It's an, a thing of empathy where we start to feel for one another or we start to feel for the characters. And empathy crushes apathy. If you think of the story of the diary of Anne Frank, how many of you read that at school? And it makes a profound impact because we feel with this young girl. She's obviously a normal child. She had all those angst and problems of teenage years, and yet she's stu stuck in an annex, facing what we know was certain death. Horrific, and yet we feel with her, we... It, it opened our eyes to the reality of the Holocaust and what that did, not to masses of people, but to the individuals concerned. It created an incredible connection. Stories cut through the... I've got a little picture there. Anne Frank, there you are. Stories cut through the noise. I don't know about you, but I get overloaded with information. Especially as a magazine editor, I get sent loads of stories. Oh, can you write about this? Can you write about that? And the, you can actually get just overwhelmed. Some of you are probably wise enough to be able to turn off social media sometimes and enjoy the peace and quiet. But uh, if you're not careful, we are just bombarded. And the thing is with stories that they can break through that. Advertisers know this. Um, I'm going to allow those to come up and see if you remember any of these. Some of them are a bit old. Uh, as I was thinking back, I realized how influenced I was by 80s TV. <laughs> but um, some of you might remember the Andrex puppy 
or the Oxo family, or the Milk Tray Man. Do you remember? All because the lady loves Milk Tray. Or the Gold Blend Romance. Anyone remember that one? <laughs> and this one up here is slightly more modern. It's Old Spice Man. Is your man an Old Spice Man? What advertisers do is they create a story. So we start to feel with the characters, we start to connect with the characters, and we get interested in the story, and therefore we associate their product with something we like, we enjoy, and you're more likely to buy it. I don't know whether I rush out and buy most of those things, but it's in my mind at least, it's memorable, I, I want to I think about it. I suppose the association, for instance, for gold blend coffee, even though I absolutely loathe instant coffee, is supposed to be good, isn't it? <laughs> And so you think about it. Stories cut through the noise. Stories are also non-confrontational. In culture, different cultures react to confrontation in different ways. I live in in the Republic of Ireland, which is a shame-based, honour and shame-based culture, very influenced by Middle Eastern thought. And in a shame-based culture, you don't go and confront someone and say, you are wrong. That's just not done. Whereas if you go and tell them a story, then it can open their eyes and can bring conviction. Very similar to Bible times. I don't know if any of you remember the story when David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and Nathan the prophet comes to him and tells him a story. And he had such a hard heart. But through that story, he begins to empathize with the characters and conviction comes, and he realizes, as Nathan says, that he is that man. I was thinking um, where examples of this, and, and one of them for me would be Uncle Tom's Cabin, one of the most influential novels in American history, as it highlighted the slavery that was going on. It was apparently banned in the south of America, south part of America at the time. But it, by Sharing a story, it still packs a punch, but it's not quite so confrontational as coming with a direct challenge. Just a couple more. Stories are contagious. In modern speak, they're shareable. You throw something up on Twitter or Facebook and the next thing it's all the way around the world. Stories can persuade or manipulate. It's actually quite interesting. It's connected with the shareableness, shareableness if that's a word. Um, a while ago there was a, a, a hoax that went around that Justin Bieber had cancer and they had this campaign bold for Bieber hashtag the idea was that all his fans were supposed to shave their heads in, in support of him now I'm not sure if anybody actually did it but that went round all over social media uh, another one which uh, from the point of view of the hoaxers, was more successful from the point of view of the individuals concerned, who was a pretty disaster, was when someone suggested you could recharge your iPhone in the microwave. <laughs> and some people actually did it. <laughs> Mind boggles. But these hoaxes, they can manipulate people into doing things. So it's, it's, stories are not always good. They can be used for, and can be quite powerful and used for bad, for even for evil. And finally, in this one, I could probably go on and on as I was researching this. I could find probably about 20 or 30 ways, but many of them are quite repetitive. But the final one is that stories provoke a response. 
in a study by Save the Children. Um, they tested two different adverts on some donors. The first advert gave all the facts about poverty. The sec second advert told the story of a se seven-year-old girl who lived in poverty. And when they asked at the end how much they were going to give, the donors who watched the story of the little girl were prepared to give twice as much as the donors who watched the facts. Stories are powerful and they can provoke a major response. But what about stories in scripture? Um, I was looking again at the breakdown of the whole of the Bible and it is apparently 75% narrative. 75% of the Bible is, is stories really, history and stories of the people of God. 15% is poetry and 10% would be just straight teaching or propositional. And yet so often in churches we, we, we reverse that. We might have 90% propositional teaching and 10% story or something. So I find it interesting that actually in scripture and especially in the life of Jesus, story was the central way of teaching. It's the major way that God shared with his people. And, and you look at Jesus, 46 parables and creative illustrations. In one place, it actually says he didn't, do, he didn't speak to them apart from in parables. He used parables continuously throughout his ministry to share with the people. And he did this, I'm assuming, because it's so powerful because it's such an incredible medium to share truth. And so just for a second, I wonder if you can turn to someone near you and tell them what is your favorite Bible story and why. Thank you so much for that. Does anybody want to shout out what their favorite is? We got to, anyone wanted to share? Very briefly, there's somebody looking very attentively at me there. Oh, yeah. The um, prodigal son. The prodigal son. Yeah, beautiful story. Uh, is there a reason why that's your favourite? Or? Well, I went away from the Lord for quite a while. And, um, and when you read the prodigal son, he, he did the same. He just went and left his car got what he wanted. You know, I know I was saved, but I just, you know, for different stupid reasons when I look back. And um, I went away from the Lord. But in the story, he comes to his senses. <laughs> And he decides to go back. And um, Dad ran out to him. And although I know the Lord calls you back, it's not of your own volition because you get different signs during those times you're away. You know, you ignore the most of them. And then you come to your senses. And uh, so I'm glad that's in the Bible, actually. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you. Yeah, so amazing when our story somehow connects with the story of Scripture. Uh, does another, just one more. Does somebody else want to share their favourite story? When Peter gets out of prison. Peter get, they, they mentioned, mentioned that this week, didn't they, when Peter came out of prison? And why, why was that? Uh, just saying it's just it's totally amazing that, you know, by praise and all these amazing supernatural things can happen. 
Yeah, brilliant, dramatic story. I love Luke as a writer. If you ever, I, I haven't got time to do that today, but I sometimes teach on, on the writing style of different writers. Wouldn't actually recommend Paul as the, the best example, but, but certainly Luke is a very good action writer. He, he, he seems to be able to capture those very, very dramatic moments, and he does it in really great language, very, very precise, very... Uh, intense language that makes us feel like we're right there in the story so beautiful thank you thank you for sharing those things Um, when I was looking at Jesus I actually wondered you know what what is it about parables what are parables Uh, did the did the normal searching up for the Greek word and discovered that this Greek word I cannot pronounce it probably there's a Greek scholar in the room can anybody say that the Greek word for parable (laughs) Okay, I'll mash it then. Paraboli or something. (laughs) Sounds very similar. But it actually means to cast beside, to lay two things side by side. A little bit like a simile in the English language. This is like this. And so we have Jesus saying, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And he casts the two things beside each other. But the importance in a parable is what you're doing is you're laying something that's familiar beside something that you don't know so well. So Jesus takes the familiar of everyday life. He takes the the flowers of the field or he takes a field or some weeds that we all have growing up in our gardens and he compares that with a spiritual truth to help illuminate their minds and to open their minds to something that's so much deeper. And it means that they can understand more. So I like this, this casting beside, and it's, such a, it's so close to the concept of metaphor and simile, our, our language that we seek to use as writers, that I thought that's really quite cool. Really, really quite good. You'll notice that when Jesus tells parables, for the most part... He does not explain them. Yes, he does occasionally, but usually just with the disciples or afterwards when they come and ask him. But for the majority of times, he tells the story and leaves it there. Oh, how we don't like doing that. (laughs) How many times do you have someone tells a story and then they tell you exactly what it means? Jesus had the, took the risk and said, for those who have ears to hear. He understood that the power of story is not having it explained. It's allowing your hearers to engage with it themselves and to start thinking about it. Uh, I had an illustration of that this week. Claire's one of our graphic designers on the team, and she created this incredible graphic with a quote on it. But it was slightly different order from what I'd expected. And for a moment there, I looked at it and I couldn't understand it. But as I looked closer, her design was deliberately created to make me think about the meaning of the words. So it was a powerful piece of communication. She made me think rather than just telling me what to think. And that is why stories are so important. So Jesus is able to say... For those who have ears to hear, leave his stories there 
and let people grapple with them and understand them at their own, in their own time. And interestingly, some of the people who understand them the best were actually his enemies. You notice the Pharisees? He's talking about us. <laughs> they knew it instantly. Um, I actually don't know. Oh, there. Yeah. We're not doing great for time, so I'm going to leave the next exercise, but I'm going to leave that for you um, to take away with you. You'll find that there's a whole list there of some of the parables in the Bible. It's an exercise I did a while back and I found it fascinating. Looking at the parables and seeing how they were used in the lives of the hearers of those stories. So if you get the chance or you would like to, you probably would notice I've already referred to the first one, which is the story of Nathan coming to David. So that one was obviously used to bring about repentance in David's life. But have a look at those because they really, really are amazing. But when we come to sharing Bible stories ourselves, I know a lot of you as writers, you like to use Bible stories in, in what you're sharing with other Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> with other people. <laughs> I'm sure there's an illustration in that. We can, come, we can think about that. Um, but what you'll often find is that the parables that we read in the Bible don't always directly translate to our modern-day life unless you happen to be a farmer or a fisherman. So sometimes we don't get the full power of the parable because we don't connect and we don't hear it the way those first-century people heard it. We don't hear it with the power that it had at the time. We lose some of that wonder of the simile. I don't know if you've noticed that sometimes in, in speech and in writing we get metaphorical language that becomes so tired and so overused that we no longer have it. It's no longer powerful to us. To be dead as a doornail, it's sort of like, it doesn't make you stop and think. It doesn't cause you to, to wonder. It doesn't give you fresh insight because you've heard it so many times before. And that's the danger with the parables in Scripture. We've heard them before, and we know what they mean. Okay, the house on the rock, that means you have to build your life on Jesus' teaching. And we've come, come through from, from Sunday school right the way through kids' camps and things, and we've got these stories in our minds, but we've got them neatly sewn up, and we forget to dig a bit deeper. And one of the wonderful things as writers is sometimes we can reimagine a Bible story for a new generation. So we can put ourselves into that story and think it through and think, what would be the equivalent in our modern culture? Or how could I rewrite this story from a perspective that's slightly different and might give some insight? I'm going to give you a very short example here of something I wrote um, in preparation for this, and you will immediately know which story it is, I think. The man stared out of the kitchen window, squinting against the glare of the early evening sun. A figure had appeared at the end of the driveway, a mere smudge in the distance, but steadily moving closer. The man leaned forward, his breath catching as he whirled the figure into focus. He half rose, one hand shakily reaching for the edge of the table, the other palm flat against the pane. And then he was running, his chair knocked sideways, and the kitchen door flung back on its hinges. 
My son, he shouted as tears ran unchecked down his wrinkled face. No prizes for guessing. (laughs) We can take a story in scripture and we can retell it. Now, if I had time, I could work on that a bit more, but I love the idea of writing the prodigal son from the perspective of the father. Or you could do the prodigal son story from the perspective of the older brother. Or find a different angle or a different illustration. We can, as writers, with our God-given imagination and creativity, bring things to life again. As preachers or evangelists, we can retell the stories of God, but with passion and excitement and creativity. And I want to really encourage you to think about doing that. I want you to think back to the story that you mentioned earlier, you were thinking about earlier in your little pairs. And, and just for a couple of moments think, could I retell that story for a modern audience? And if I was going to do it, how would I do that? So just for a moment, have a think and maybe write it down. If you didn't check, uh, choose a story earlier, you could just land on one now for as an illustration. An exercise that you might want to try at home, especially if you are writing regularly and wanting to learn to write, is to challenge yourself to retell a story from scripture in a modern way, in a different way, or from a different perspective. Or simply just go into that story and put yourself there and try and imagine exactly what it was like so that you can bring the whole scene to life. And all of the gifts that we have of creativity and writing can be applied to telling the stories of Scripture. So the sights and the sounds and the, the smells, can we bring those to life again and make Scripture live for our hearers, for our, our readers? The other thing we can do is also create our own parables. You'll notice it's been done several times this week by main stage. For instance, Heather used two very powerful illustrations about the gift. I'm not sure if you were all there, so I'll quickly retell. She talked about her grandfather being a missionary and having written a book. And she had several copies on her shelf, and someone sent her a copy of the book. But because she knew what was in it, She just put it on the shelf along with the other books. She told another story about her mother receiving a beautiful vase as a gift from her husband. And it was so precious that it was put in the room. (laughs) Hidden away so nobody could touch it. The good room. Do you have good rooms? (laughs) There you are. It was put in the good room and hidden away because it was too precious for everyday life. And she gave those as two illustrations for the way we respond to the gift that God is giving us. Sometimes we think we know it and we put it on the shelf. Sometimes it's too good for everyday life, so we hide it away instead of accepting. Those are two examples of a modern-day parable. It's using a story from everyday life or from your, your experience and using it to illustrate spiritual truth. It's really powerful, and it's something that you could be looking for all the time. For me as a writer, I have one that I use quite often, which is um, quite a horrific story for me. I was uh, sitting at my computer, 
and uh, it was a time when I was working with OM and sending out new stories around the world to tell people what God was doing. And at the time, I was writing the, the weekly update news email for OM. So I was already late, as I usually am, on deadline, trying to work hard, and the phone rings. I pick up the phone, and someone was on the end of the phone saying, I've got loads of great stories from you for you. Well, as a journalist, that's brilliant. You want to hear the stories? This is great. God's doing wonderful things around the world. I want to tell everybody about these stories. So as I did, I tucked the phone under my shoulder and started typing away. And I typed these stories into a Word document. Said goodbye to my friend and realized that one of those stories was just perfect for the email that I'd been working on. So copied and pasted it over, tied it up, pressed send, and suddenly realized, oh, I need to be collecting my daughter from school. So I closed down my computer. And as I did so, you already know what happens. <laughs> as I did so, a little box appeared on the computer. Do you want to save the changes to document one? And I said, no. And then I went, no! <laughs> Now, if you have ever worked with computers, the one thing you need to know is if you haven't saved it already, you cannot get it back. It was gone forever. All of those six stories that I typed up from my friend on the phone were gone. And I could not get them back. And I will leave you to imagine the sort of illustrations you could use <laughs> that for but certainly for sin and for all sorts of other situations in our lives that we get ourselves for. So um, we can create, recreate the stories of Scripture, but we can also create our own parables and our own stories. Um, but I wanted to move on to a question for you. Why are personal stories so effective in sharing the gospel? Why is it that a personal testimony is so powerful. Any takers? Anyone got some suggestions? They're authentic. They're really talking about what's real for you. They're authentic and real. Very good. Anyone else? I was just saying that um, no man's experience can be maligned by no man's argument. So what's happened to you, you know, is that what they said is real? Like, that other person said, I've seen fair, but you have to say, oh, well, tell me what you saw, not, oh, that's a lot of rubbish. So people tend to respect other people's true stories, I think. Great, yeah. So, so um, for the sake of the table, that's why I'm repeating this. So people tend to respect other people's stories. I think that's great. Anyone else? We're essentially just quite nosy and we like hearing about other people's experiences and we take them in more. This is true. We're nosy. That's why I became a journalist. I love hearing other people's stories. That's true. Very good. It makes us realise that our own personal stories aren't 100% unique and other people experience the same sort of trials and tribulations that we can as well. That's, that's a really cool point. That, that when we share vulnerably, when we share our own story, other people feel, oh, I'm not the only one. That's, that's really good. Anyone else? Isn't really the main character in the story is sitting in front of them? Yes. Yeah. Makes the story come alive because you're right there sitting with them. Brilliant. It helps me make sense of my story when I hear someone else's story. 
I like that. So I'll just repeat that. It helps you make sense of your own story because you've heard somebody else's story. Yeah, in, in my experience, testimony, story, in all my years now, 27 years in missions, personal story is one of the most powerful ways to share the gospel. Um, it seems to unlock something in your hearers. It, it breaks down barriers in a way that when you're trying to do the four spiritual laws, as important as they are, sometimes just by sharing the story, you can inv- include all of that important information in the story. And it, it really connects and engages with your hearers, with your listeners. We do a lot in Bankrana. Um, you, you were saying about the Amazing Grace Festival. One of the things we do every year is we have a Stories of Faith night, a night when we share stories about people's faith journeys. And we're finding that many, many people will come to that who would never come to another meeting because it's non-threatening it's, it's, and it's interesting. People love to hear it and people connect and engage. I wanted to share with you Uh, a bit of my story, which is a combination of my story and a retelling of scripture. So someone, I was chatting with someone earlier about my favorite Bible story, and this is it, but it's also my story. And I hope it will give you an example again of how we can also retell our stories in a way to share with other people. So if you bear bear with me for a second, and I'll do this for you. I don't know if it will record, but... I didn't want to feel again. Pain is not a problem when you're numb. Back in the early days, I had enough pain to last a lifetime. Oh, I I don't mean physical pain. Didn't you know when you have leprosy, your nerve endings die? No, I mean real pain. The knife in the stomach sort of pain when your best friend crosses over the other side of the street to avoid talking to you. When your boss says, I'm sorry, we've got to let you go. Lepers are bad for business. When people's faces start to distort with horror when they catch a glimpse of what's underneath your robe. No, I didn't want to feel again. I didn't want to have any hope but I couldn't escape the stories. This teacher, this man they said was sent from God, they said he healed the blind man. And then he was coming to my town. I could hear the voice and the noise of the crowd in the distance shouting his name. And he was coming closer. He was coming this way. And I couldn't help myself. I thought, this man, if he were willing, he, if he were willing, if he were willing, why would he want to come near me? I'm the filthy leper. Nobody wants me. I'm an outcast from this town. No, I'd be better off if he just stayed away. Stay away. Unclean. Stay back. Can't you see I've got leprosy? But he came. 
And as I looked into his eyes, I couldn't help myself. I fell on my knees and said, Lord, if you are willing, you could make me clean. And in that instant, I had no doubt he could do it. But why would he want to? I am willing, he said. And the teacher reached out his arm and he touched me. And I could feel the pressure of his fingers on my dead skin. Be clean, he said. Clean. Clean. And in that instant, my whole body is just tingling with life. I'm clean. I'm, I'm, I'm clean. I'm free to throw back the robe and reveal my face, not disfigured anymore, but it's, it's remade. do that for me I'm a filthy leper why would he touch me (sighs) people say he's a prophet a man sent from God I don't understand any of that I just know he's the one who is willing. <laughs> I wanted to share that with you and then just to share why, why I wrote that. Um, my story is one of, of quite a lot of pain um, and it's one of abuse uh, by my grandfather for many, many years. And it left me feeling very numb. It left me feeling like I was the filthy leper, that I was shamed and unclean. And the Lord's work in my life took a very well, has taken and is taking a very long time. It's not like an instant thing, but the Lord's work in my life has, to show, has been to show me that he was willing, that he was willing to touch me and clean me, even though I felt unworthy, even though I didn't feel good enough for him. It's, I've never known a time when I didn't know something of the Lord. I grew up in a wonderful Christian family, but it took a long, long time to truly know that I was his child. And that was his work in me. And I wrote that because I connect so powerfully with that story in scripture of the outcast who was brought so close to the Lord and healed completely. 
And I do, I've seen so much healing in my life, and I want to share that with other people and share that Jesus can walk right into your experience, walk, he comes right close, even if you think you're not worth it, not worthy, and he's able to, to bring healing to you. And what's been so amazing for me is that story has been interpreted in so many different ways. So I've shared it in many situations, and people who don't know why I wrote it can read their own interpretation into it. Uh, so when I was sharing at a conference about HIV and AIDS, people with HIV and AIDS said they could identify with that story. And when I was sharing uh, at a missions conference, uh, people from the, the untouchable community, the Dalit community in India, felt they could identify with it. So it can be challenging to share our own stories. It can be a little bit painful and very, very vulnerable, as you can probably hear from me. But at the same time, it can also be so powerful because it gives people the opportunity to understand the Lord's work in our life. Um, so that's, I wanted to share that with you. Um, <laughs> I, usually, I try, usually try not to continue speaking after I've done that. Oh, thank you very much. That's very good. I'm better these days. I used to come off stage after doing that and cry for about 10 minutes, but <laughs> I'm okay now. Um, so I want to just... How are we doing for time? We do, we've got very few minutes left. Oh, dear. So I wanted to just um, share a couple more things. When we are writing our stories, when we're writing our testimonies or our Bible stories, reimagined Bible stories or our modern-day parables, we still have to use all of the techniques of good writing. So it's not enough to say it was a Bible story, so it should be fine. <laughs> we still have to do the hard work. And, and this is where I find a lot of writers, they want to take the easy road. They want to write it and send it off, and that's it, done. But as a, a writer of many, many years, I know if I do that, it will usually be a disaster because my best work comes when I go over something again and take the extra time to, to really use all... <laughs> that's me. I take the extra time to use all of the skills of good writing. So I think, I believe I put in your notes a few of the tips that I would give there. Yes, I have the, I have the same ones here. Um, so, uh, as I say, remember that the best writing is rewriting. I quite like this quote from Michael Crichton, as you know, possibly, of Jurassic Park fame. Books aren't written, they are rewritten, including your own. It is one of the hardest things to accept, especially after the seventh rewrite hasn't quite done it. And uh, we like to imagine that we will be different, but all of the best writers will tell you the same thing. If you want to write, especially if you want to write professionally, take the time, put the effort in, and maybe get some help from someone. So find someone who's an editor, uh, a writer themselves, a mentor, who will give you an honest opinion. Now, my husband is brilliant at this, but it can be a little bit brutal. So you need to find someone you can trust. 
and I trust him implicitly, but I, I don't tend to give him my first drafts of writing um, because he will give me wonderful critique and leave me shattered on the floor. So find someone you can trust who will read your work and give you some honest feedback. If you're using story in a different way, for example, as a preacher, as, as an evangelist, as a teacher, be willing to let yourself receive feedback. I find a lot of people think, um, I, I'm preaching every week. I don't need feedback. I've been doing this for years. But it's so good to ask someone, could you listen to me today and let me know how it goes? It's a little bit vulnerable, but it can really help you improve. I remember my grandfather used to allow and encourage young men to preach in the pulpit of our church growing up. He had founded the church, but he was always willing to take the risk on a new preacher because he wanted to encourage them in their gift. But he would always sit down with them afterwards and give them lots of encouragement, but also some things to improve. So I remember that he, when the first time my husband preached in the church, he actually drew him to one side and said, you did a very good job, you illustrated that very well, but I want to show you something you were doing. And Andrew was starting every sentence loud, and then disappearing into nothing at the end, so people couldn't hear. And then he would start a sentence loud, and then disappear into nothing, so nobody could hear. And my grandfather did this little illustration to show Andrew what he was doing, and he learnt the lesson. And in future, he was able to tell his stories much more powerfully and effectively. So feedback is essential. A few other things. Do work on your imagery. Do work on descriptive language. Imagine yourself in a situation and use all of your tools, your sight, your sounds, your smells, your touch, your taste, to give your readers something really exciting that they're going to enter into. And take the time to find fresh imagery. Don't just go for the old chestnuts. There you go. <laughs> I did one there. But don't go for the ones that everybody's used again and again and again. Use active verbs. Most of you will know what passive voice is when you make things less active or you don't use the subject in the sentence. So something is done to somebody instead of something is done. Uh, it really reduces the power of your work. When I, oops, one of the things I would say in um, when you're dealing with testimony, and it's something as a journalist, as you'll, if you grab a copy of Vox, you'll see I use a lot of stories, people's personal stories in Vox, and um, it's very, very important that you don't give three pages to the before story and two paragraphs to the after story. I always encourage people, give as much information about the change Jesus made in your life. Don't just spend all this time talking about being a drug dealer in Amsterdam and then say, and then I came to Jesus. Because that doesn't actually help people to see the transformation that's taken place. You can give a little bit of information or some of the story of where you came from, but it's very, very important to give the story of the change that Jesus made. So be careful with that one. I wanted to show you this story, this picture, because we're coming to the end. Um, this is my, one of my favorite pictures for illustrating writing technique. So I believe a writer is a sculptor, sculptor with words. 
So you start with your block of stone and you get your rough outline and you rewrite and you rewrite to give definition and beauty. And so that's a really important thing to remember. If you get the chance, I'd love you to do the exercise, the six word exercise that is on your sheets. Ernest Hemingway was asked to write a story that would make people cry in six words. <laughs> I, I love writing lean, but that would be a challenge for me. I would find that pretty tough. But he actually succeeded. Have any of you seen this before? I, I hadn't, I'd, I'd heard about this, but I'd never actually seen what he actually wrote. And this is what he actually wrote. Powerful, hey? Absolutely powerful. I'll say it for the tape. For sale, baby shoes, never worn. And it did make me cry when I read it. And I'd love you to have a go at that uh, as writers um, to see if you could create a story in six words. It's possible, as he's shown, but it takes a lot of effort and time. And... Uh, Worth, worth the effort. I'm going to end there and leave it the opportunity for maybe a couple of questions. Apologies for, for not making it all the way through the material, but thank you so much uh, for being here. Is there any questions from anyone? So, so the series was uh, called Broken. Mm -hmm. Some of you have seen, and uh, you were saying it's a very powerful story. Yeah, my daughter, who's a writer, and you've given me insights today, and she's writing a book at the moment. I am anything but a writer. I'm dyslexic, can't even spell, and I keep asking her, you know, and how did it go today? And she says, well, I'm rewriting, and I'm, re and I'm thinking, why are you rewriting? Thank you, Ruth, for that insight. But she has seen that series, and she said it's very powerful and worth watching. Yeah, that's the one they were saying. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Any other questions? I'm just going to pray with us. Um, you've got feedback forms on your um, bench here. We really would appreciate your response to this seminar and any that you might have that you would want New Horizon to do. And please don't forget this magazine. And if you didn't get notes, there's notes here down at the front. Let me just pray with us. Father, I just thank you so much for this amazing seminar and this gift that you have given to Ruth and the gifting that is in this room, Lord, the possibilities that there are. Father, I thank you for the wonderful story that Ruth dramatized for us. None of us will forget that, Lord, as we leave. I thank you for her vulnerability to share that part of her life with us. And I pray for us as we go, Lord, that as we carry your story, Father, that it will be effective in the lives of those that we touch today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.